0: Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And, uh, you know, spring has sprung, but damn, it doesn't feel like it over here in the north. Is it chilly over there? It's It was like 40 degrees this morning. Yeah, no, it is it, it beautiful and sunny, but it is cold. It is cold. And I uh, just can't, wait. you know, I can't win. I, I, want, I bought this smokeless fire pit, you know? It was one of those ads that pops up in your Facebook feed for some reason. Right. Because maybe I... Sh- took pictures of my old fire pit. Maybe you said the
1: word fire pit at some point Uh, in your life and Facebook heard you and now is sold. Yeah. I mean, I I used to have your basic open pit and, you know,
0: I would take pictures of my feet resting on it with the fire going and stuff. And so naturally I get ads for, anyway, this thing is amazing. It's smokeless. It literally, when it gets going, there is no smoke, Nice, but it burns hot. Right. And, uh, I burned a hole through my actual deck with it because i didn't have there wasn't anything that was uh good enough to insulate my deck until i got this industrial strength uh, you know gridiron kind of uh heat disperser that's uh enough about the weather uh uh, i want to catch you up on what i've been doing um lately i've been working on a lot of azure stuff nice cosmos db Service bus, event hubs, messaging. Building the software, are you? It's been really, really cool. And so my Better Know framework is directly related to what I've been doing. So roll the crazy music. <laughs> ¶¶¶¶ All right, dude, what do you got? Uh, This is on GitHub in Azure samples. It's an Azure functions plan switcher. So it's a .NET Hmm. function that uses Azure durable functions to schedule the scale of a function app plus Cosmos DB to a pre-warmed premium plan for like four hours. After the four hours, it moves the app back to the consumption plan and scales down Cosmos DB. So the scenario is, you know, you have this uh, may maybe like a weekly time card processor for employees and this is right off the right. off the github repo and while time cards might be submitted at any time during the week the bulk of the requests are made late friday afternoon yeah sure they're all going to be bomb at the same time right you got it so to ensure high performance even with large bursts of data you can use the sample code to preemptively scale the serverless components on friday afternoons scale them down on friday evenings nice so you don't actually have to log in and press the lever
1: you can actually you schedule this in it's like we're gonna get a hit on this day right so dial it up then dial it back down yeah and we've, of, been ta- we've been cool. talking about auto scaling on this show for how many years right
0: yeah 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 and some things do it but you know it's, it's just pretty cool here's just another way to do it yeah,
1: i love that that's really yeah. cool nice it's just now it's just code right like yep. it used to be voodoo and now it's like god ah, this is a thing you use yep very cool Awesome. So who's
0: talking to us today, Mr. Campbell?
1: Uh, grabbed a comment off the show, 1543, the one we did back with Mr. Hunter, May of 2018, which when we first announced uh, .NET Core 3, mm. the sort of first conversations around that. And I think this show was right around build last year. Probably and right. And here we are to show right around build this year. It's funny so how that happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there might, might almost be a theme emerging. Weird. <laughs> And this uh, comment comes from Ludwig Sion, and I hope I pronounced your name correctly. I did it with enthusiasm anyway. <laughs> uh, he said, I just finished this podcast, and I love that the WinForms people can reap the benefits of .NET Core work, right? Because mm-hmm. one of the parts about .NET Core 3 was we're going to have the WinForms WPF as a Windows SDK add-on. Right. This is sadly not the case for us Web Forms developers. At the mm-hmm. end of the podcast, Scott gives advice when to upgrade to .NET Core when just supporting or leave it as it is or when active developing or porting it. However, mm-hmm. there's no path for web forms to applications developers except a rewrite, which we can't do. Right. Um, well, we'll revisit this with Scott. Let's introduce him. And, and, yeah. and Ludwig, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Music Go by is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music Go by, write a comment on the website at or on Facebook. We publish every show there. And if you comment there and we read on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music Go by. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at
0: Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet. We scale it up on Thursday mornings. <laughs> Our Cosmos DB of Twitter. Uh huh. All right, so uh, Scott Hunter by now probably needs no introduction, but just for those who don't know, he owns .NET. He's the dot so, .NET guy. He's the Director of Program Management on the .NET team at Microsoft. His team builds .NET Framework, .NET Core, ASP.NET, Entity Framework, the Managed Languages, Web, and .NET Tooling. Welcome back,
2: Scott. Thanks, guys. Happy to be here.
1: Uh, where is Web Forms these days, friend? What's the solution for the Web Forms developer who's not prepared to do a rewrite?
2: If you're a Web Forms developer and you're not prepared to do a rewrite, you'll you'll need to stay on top of uh, .NET Framework 4.8. And we do have Framework 4.8. That's a recent release. Yeah, 4.8 came out um, just a few weeks ago. Actually, um, it's out in the wild now. Nice. Um, it comes with the uh, you know, basically, .NET Frameworks ship with the latest update, the Windows operating system. Um, so it's available as a standalone download, um, and if you're on Windows Ten, uh, whenever your your machine grabs the newest uh, update, uh, it'll bring .NET Framework four point eight down as well.
0: Is four point eight the one that has the the core libraries at the at the bottom of the stack for performance?
2: Uh, we did take the jitter from core. And backported into .NET Framework in the 4.8 era. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the that's the primary change that you would you would you would see from any core bits going back into .NET Framework.
0: Right. So if you're still on the .NET okay. Framework and not on .NET Core at this point, at least you'll have some performance improvements. Uh,
2: yeah, you'll you'll be on some of the same tech that we you know that we have. Yeah. Um, 4.8, uh, you know, technically was released on April 18th. Um, it, as I said, it'll be on Windows Update later this summer. Uh, primary things that you're going to see in the 4.8 are, are some accessibility improvements for WinForms and WPF. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got improved high DPI support for multiple monitors, mm-hmm. uh, and as I said, the JIT is uh, with parity with the .NET Core 2.1 release. Um, those are the main, main big things that come in. Come in that um, available for download today. Um, and it will be available as well in the 1903 release of Windows 10. And that's coming? That's on MSDN right now. Oh, okay. Uh, so MSDN Downloads has that available today. Um, it's not been pushed to the general public. Um, I think that's going to happen uh, in a month or so. Awesome. And, and now you could do side-by-side.
1: So if you have an existing uh, Web Forms app, you're up at 4.8. Couldn't you also be building new stuff on that site? using core
2: yeah that's that's actually what i would recommend i would i would tell a customer you know and and by the way in many cases if you have a perfectly working application uh just porting it to core is you know not exactly a you're not going to gain a whole bunch out of doing that so in many cases what we tell people to do is you know leave your old assets where they are um and as you build new stuff build it with core um and we did work um that lets you actually let's let's say you've got a website that requires login Ah, uh, we did work where we can actually share the login tokens between Core and and um, .NET Framework, so you can actually have a application that's got logon with with Web Forms, and then part of that same site is serve Core. Um, we do support that.
1: And what? How do you explain why you're not porting
2: Web Forms? So there's there's basically three three frameworks that we did not port um, as part of the Core effort. Uh, web Forms is one of them. WCF is another one and Windows Workflow is the third one. Um, If you look at those three frameworks, uh, Windows Workflow, uh, there's actually a open source port of that um, uh, on GitHub today. Um, So that one actually is available. Um, WCF and AS.NET, we actually did a full analysis of could we port them? And it ended ended up being something was gonna take our team about three years to do. Wow. Jeez, oh, um, And when you start looking at the cost, you know, that, that is, that isn't an, an estimate. So we could have been wrong on either side. We could have been, that's, that could be too expensive or, it or, or it could have been too cheap. Um, we don't know which way it, it actually flows, but th- some of the things that really, you know, we thought if we were going to port web forms, number one, uh, it, it would not have been a hundred percent compatible anyways. Um, just because right. it's running on core, some of the types are different. Mm. So you wouldn't be able to like to like use your web form controls that you have today. They would have to be rebuilt. You're not going to lift and shift anyway. Right. Uh, it's mm-hmm. not going to be a, a automatic switch. Um, the second thing we want, we, if we were going to do that effort, um, well, also it's going to run on, on Kestrel. So it's not going to be running a, on IS the same way. So it's going to be on a different stack. So you're going to right. some of that program. some of, You're going to have some breaks there as well because the underlying tech is is a little different.
1: That was the thing I always thought about was that Web Forms was utterly tied to IIS, and so to be on Core, you just can't be tied to IIS. Right? It
2: would it would there would be broken stuff there because it is actually there's a big piece of Web Forms is a is a piece of native code that basically basically bolted the IIS.
0: But you could run it in a Windows container. I mean, if even if you're not on Core. Right? you could still take advantage of modern software practices
2: and throw those in Windows containers and have a little right. bit more and that, control that's what and we would I would tell customers you know run run it on containers on Windows um, and you know you can take advantage of all the latest ways that we're building software and deploying software that that's all supportive um, but so it's not compatible um, it's very expensive right um, and at the end of the day you know you're not gonna are you are you really going to port your old Webforms application? Probably not. So yeah, you're not you're
1: not really gaining anything. I, I appreciate that.
0: And and you know it's time. It's time. I mean it's 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 a good move for consultancies like mine because you know we have customers <laughs> coming to us saying, you know, help, we're being left behind here. We need to uh, need to get with it. But uh, you know it's time. It's been a long time since. People have built their, you know, flagship ASP.NET Web yeah. Forms
1: sites. If you, from an enterprise architecture perspective, you know, if you get 10 years out of an app, you've done just fine. Like, dude, that's 2002, maybe 2005 tech. It's 2019. Yeah. MVC's 10 years old for crying out loud.
2: Yep. And what, we're, what we would do is we we, rec- we recommend customers with Web Forms. I would recommend, recommend them to move if, if you want to use your skills as you move forward. We'd recommend Blazor because mm-hmm. um, it has the closest programming model. It's got more of a component programming model right. than you know, like an MVC stack does. Um, so, and Blazor is now
1: a product, right? It's no longer an experiment. It is a product now. It will, it ships as part of .NET Core
2: three. Did you guys talk about that at Build? We did talk about that at Build. Um, a bunch of exciting things. Uh, you know, we talked about it at Build. So let's let's uh, let's do a quick recap of some of the Core three stuff. And then I want to jump into and talk a little bit about what's coming after um, Core Three. Okay. So um, Core Three, some of the some of the stuff that we announced at Build is we announced uh, the date. So we will release Core in September of 2019. Mm -hmm. There will be a a RC where the frameworks will basically kind of quit changing APIs. In July uh, of 2019. Oh wow! So we are we are just uh, a month or two, you know, a couple months away from the RC. Wow! Uh, September will be the GA, um, and we'll have a .NET Conf uh, virtual conference in September. Matt, um, that release. Now, I'm going to go a little further. Um, okay. When you when you think of the releases of .NET, uh, especially .NET Core. They've kind of been all over the map, and it's kind of hard for a, for a customer to know, hey, it's, it's great to hear that and Core 3 is going to ship, but when is the LTS build? The LTS build is the long-term support version of Core, Core 3. Right. Um, we, we also announced a build that that's going to ship in November of 2019. So, you know, if you're listening to this, that means you can start playing with Core in July, Core 3, and then you'll have an RTM in September. And if you, if you care about the LTS, that's going to come in November. Um, and then... As we move forward and we think about the the next .NETs, um, we want to actually make our roadmap something that's actually easy to predict. And so we will have a RTM of .NET Core every November moving forward. So there'll be a 5.0 in 2020. There'll be a 6.0 hmm. in 2021. There'll be a 7.0 in 2022. And there'll be an 8.0 in wow. 2023. So we're, we're going to follow the same pattern that like uh, Node.js does, uh, Ubuntu does, Um, and have a very predictable schedule um, that our customers can, they'll know when the next LTS build is going to drop. They're going to know when the next preview builds are going to drop.
1: You know, I've always subscribed to the sort of two philosophies of shipping software. There's the deadline version where you cut features to make the deadline, and there's the feature version where you shift dates to make the feature set. Why? And you guys have been on sort of a feature set model for
2: a long time. Why switch? Uh, two, two primary reasons. On Swift, uh, the the first the first one is I'll give you what I what I hear all the time is as I as I go around and talk to customers, mm-hmm. they start asking me for extended support on a version of .NET Core, and I'm like, well, why are you asking me for extended support? Well, we don't know when the next LTS is going to be, so we assume we need to have some way to get like six six years of support on this version of, of Core. Mm. Um, having that right. that 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 schedule like that makes it very easy for a, the customer to go. Every other year, there's an LTS, um, and so I know that I need to I need to keep moving, um, and I I can see when the when the future is. I, that's that's part of it. I think the other part of it is, you know, as we get to um, beyond .NET Core three, the the release after that, which we haven't talked about yet on the on the show, um, that release, I I think will will kind of be when we've actually got .NET Core to a very mature place. You know, we have the desktop right. We've got the web stacks, we have the microservices, we have machine learning, we have uh, big data. Um, and I'm hoping that uh, we, you know, we've gotten past all the crazy huge milestones. If you look at .NET Core 2, it brought .NET Standard, it brought uh, our .NET Standard 2.0, uh, which was a lot of APIs. If you look at .NET Core 3, um, it brings you know the desktop stacks and Blazor. Um, if you look at .NET Core 5, because uh, we're likely going to skip the four, um, That's going to bring you um, ahead of time compile. Um, so I, I, I think that in mm. that wave, we've done all the big stuff. Um, and it should be good for our customers as well. It means the changes year to year will be more incremental um, and less right. these huge piles of new functionality. And
1: it makes sense to me that you, you hit a maturity level. Now you can go at a steady cadence where right. you're not racing for a big thing unless something disruptive comes along. And I, I can't imagine what that is. Well, there are disruptive things. And I wouldn't say disruptive. You could still use technologies. But, like, for
0: example, you moved our JSON. <laughs> Who moved my JSON? Right. I mean, they have built-in support now. Right. So you don't have to use Newton soft, but, but the, you know, yeah, the syntax you, you is a always different. still
2: use, use Newton soft. The, 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 you know, the reality is, you know, having the framework have to depend on a, on a third party package to even boot itself up, uh, was kind of weird. I never
1: understood why James Newton King didn't work for Microsoft, man. That guy's a genius.
2: You know, he works for us now.
1: That's the what? answer then. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's the best answer possible (laughs) is the best that explains a lot actually yeah james 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 works in the asp.net team
1: oddly enough because working in office would be weird
2: (laughs) (laughs) let's let's go through the uh the the the.net core 3 stuff real fast uh and let's absolutely a little bit beyond the.net core uh three stuff um so you know thinking of of of.net core 3 um, obviously, desktop is a is a is a big piece of, of .NET Core three. We bring the WinForms and WPF frameworks uh, to .NET Core, um, and you know, which gives you the same side by side support that web developers have had the last couple of years. Uh, the but but one of the cool features, uh, especially I think for the desktop apps, is we have a it's a feature that comes in the Core three three wave. Uh, where you'll be able to tick a box inside of Visual Studio when you compile one of these applications, and you can say you want to make a single exe. Um, and that single exe will contain .NET Core and your desktop nice. application. Um, which means, you know, if you want to go build an application and deploy it across your enterprise, uh, you don't have to worry about deploying .NET Core uh, to all the machines. You can actually make these self-contained exes. So we're going to ship a linker uh, that'll link out assemblies um, and we'll give you uh, some tech that will actually take the all the, all the assets required for your application, uh, make them into a single exe, single click install and you're, and you're good to go. So that's, that's the desktops,
0: And that comes with the MSIX installer now, right? So we don't have to worry about all the problems that we've had with. Uh, right.
2: So MSIX will be our replacement for the ClickOnce technology. technology. Uh, MSIX is being backward ported uh, down to windows seven. Mm. Um, and so whether you're windows seven or windows 10, you'll be able to use MSIX. Um, nice. Hopefully by the time that, that Rio ships um, Rio. Will, It also brings uh, C sharp eight, a bunch of cool features in C sharp eight, uh, ranges, nullable reference types. That's probably my favorite. Uh, That's some tech to make. Yeah, that huge debate around that. Let's let's dig into that a little bit. So, nullable reference types. What it is is basically, it's a a flag you set, um, and when you set the flag, the compiler compiler will tell you if you're not putting a check uh, for for null around using that type. Right. Um, So. It enforces you to put the right null, null reference checks in your code. Um, it is it is work though. I will I will tell you that we you know we tried to flip that thing on for the BCL, and it likely won't the BCL won't won't be fully flipped on to use this feature until three point one, um, because it is it is a lot of work. Hmm. Um, but we looked at we were looking at telemetry stuff of what's the most common exception that, that .NET code has, and it is no null, null reference exceptions, and so we started asking ourselves. Sure. So what can we do with the compiler to try to help people solve this once again i probably wouldn't turn it on for my old code um but i would turn it on for new code that i write um and and it is something it's you as i said it, you do have to turn it on so it is not on by default you have to go to your CS csproj file and, and attribute on that you want to have this feature oh you know
1: i swear this reminds me of option explicit circa 1994 <laughs> yeah it's very much that enforcing yeah. you, that you declare
0: your
2: variables in this case check for nulls. So, I, but I, I think it will it will it will make you more defensive. you will write the code. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a good feature. Async streams um, is another one that's basically being able to return a an an I, an I enumerable uh, from an async function. So we've had you know async await for a while, uh, but we didn't have support for it against uh, I innumerable types, um, and now that comes. And that'll from, from from a web perspective, that'll allow a lot of a lot of really cool scenarios chunking like for you know big file operations and stuff like that. Uh, now you don't have to write weird code uh, to use that.
0: Yeah, the declaration is the same as a nullable value type, right? Just the question mark.
2: Yeah. Very cool. Uh, switch expressions, recursive patterns. There's a whole bunch of C sharp eight features, uh, default implementations. Um, I think this is a good good, to, good good time to call out something though. C sharp eight. Will only be available in .NET Core three and above.
1: So there won't be a C# um, eight for standard framework,
2: right? .NET Framework will not have a will not have C# eight support, um, and will not make C# eight work for .NET Core two or .NET Core one. It's only .NET Core three and forward. Yeah, that, .NET Core three and above.
0: Well, unless you're writing a web forms app or WCF or Windows Workflow, you know, brand new. I don't know who would be doing that right. greenfield. You know, you should, there's no excuse. Yeah, that's, well,
2: one of, you know, one of our going forward things is historically, as part of the .NET team, we've tried to take new features and port them backwards uh, into right. older versions of frameworks and stuff like that. And every time we've done it, we broke stuff. Yeah. Um, so, you yeah. know, most recently, when we did .NET Standard 2.0, uh, we backported that all the way to .NET Framework 4.62, immediately broke it. And we had, uh, we had to do an emergency Windows patch. Um, within the first month of shipping .NET Core standard or Standard 2.0 to go fix that. And so we just have a history of of seeing that every time we try to go take a feature and put it backwards, we break stuff. And I think Carl made a great point. If you have a WCF app that you wrote 10 years ago, are you really going to go add a C Sharp 8 feature inside of that thing? Seems Probably unlikely. Not. So why take the chance? You're going to use C Sharp 8 in new code, not yeah. not uh, in your old code. Yeah. But I,
1: I also think you're you're now basically getting to that mindset of these are legacy.net apps and they have to be treated as such. You don't insert the new bits into them.
2: Right. Uh, I, I, you know, our, uh, the evidence we have from talking to customers is they're not doing stuff like this anyway. So I don't think it's gonna, but it, but it is a change for us. Basically we're, you know, moving forward you know, you're going to have to be on the latest version of .NET Core if you want the latest versions of C .Sharp. Well, and that's just not that unusual, right? Other languages do it this way, right? You
1: guys have been the odd ducks for backporting new languages on the old platforms. We we
2: have we have been the odd duck, um, and as I said, it's, it's also burned our customers, and so that's yeah. why we're not going to do it anymore. And so, I, yeah, I think it's much much easier just to say if you want the newest features, be on the latest version of Core. That's just the way it works. It's simple, um, but it, as you said. Richard, it is a change, and, and uh, people will have to get used to the change. Let's talk about uh, one or two more things on .NET core, th- or .NET core 3, and let's talk beyond .NET Core three. Sure. So for ASP.NET, um, we are bringing gRPC support to the uh, framework. Hmm. Uh, GRC, gRPC stands for Google RPC, um, and it's it's great for people that want to have contract-based based RPC uh, programming models. The the reason we're embracing Google uh, RPC or gRPC is because um, there is support for many languages for this, which means it's it's awesome that you can write a, a gRPC server in .NET Core, and you can call it from Java or Node, um, or vice versa. If there's a the, uh, somebody else has a gRPC server they wrote in Java, for example, you can easily call it from .NET. So yeah. it's it's uh, uh, awesome for people to want the the contract based. Services and it's also great because of all the cross-language interoperability that you have. Um, we've nice. also got a, a new uh, project type called a worker service uh, that we have in, in ASP.NET Core three as well. And the worker service is kind of our our dipping our toes into the microservice pattern. You know, right now when you build a if you want to build a microservice with .NET Core, yeah. it's it's kind of weird because you know, let's say you're going to use a controller for doing APIs. Well, you're you're going to actually write code that says, you know, um, use use ASP.NET MVC, and there is no MVC. There is no view in this in this application, and so the worker service is is us stripping out uh, a lot of that that stuff, so you can basically just get down to the raw code. So in this case, um, you, you'll get all the the features like the uh, uh, dependency injection. You'll get all the logging. You'll get all the configuration hmm. that a core project has today. But you can decide if you want to, if you just want to actually define a route and have that route go directly to code, or if you want to have some code that runs for a long time, for example, a worker like a service that's that's maybe monitoring a queue or something like that. And so that's going to be first class uh, and built in the framework as so part of. It's
0: a little bit of a step up from a function or a web job, then.
1: Yeah. Now, yeah. The, I mean, there is a GitHub project of gRPC for .NET. There is right that clearly. I mean, James
2: Newton King, Dave Fowler, like they're all contributing to. Is this the project? Well, yeah. So, so yeah, I should. Sh- that's that's a great point. So, the GRPC support that we have in, in ASP.NET Core three, we didn't just go write our own GRPC support. When we went right. to the GRPC, there already was a .NET implementation, um, and so what we've decided to do is we we are now contributing to that project. So that's why you're seeing James King and David Fowler there. Right.
1: James, you know, funny that we mentioned him. James King is like the top contributor to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, there
2: he is. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're contributing to that, to, to the, the implementation that Google already had. Um, and in fact, uh, David Fowler meets, I think, weekly with the gRPC gRPC team at Google. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this, you know, it's open source. So mm-hmm. we're trying to be good open source citizens and support that project. And you'll see file templates inside of Visual Studio for this. Uh, it'll be baked in the tooling and product um, and so cool. Nice. So the the final one, which is the the one that kind of kicked this thing off, is Richard was asking about Blazor. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so Blazor is built in the box in, in ASP.NET Core 3.0. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, for people that don't know that, uh, Blazor lets you actually write C-sharp code that can run in the browser. So using WebAssembly, um, you can write C-sharp that runs in the browser. You can write C-sharp that runs on the server. Um, and the cool thing here is, if you're trying to build, you know, modern SPA type application um, today, you would use, you know, frameworks like Angular, React, or Vue. Mm-hmm. Now, if you want to, you can build a .NET SPA application just using C# Yay! Uh, and so that's kind of the cool thing about Blazor. Runs in all the browsers, uh, supported on all the mobile browsers. Uh, but you know, unlike using the JavaScript, now you ha- now you can use a strongly typed language from up to bottom. Um, and you can use a single tool chain top to bottom as well. Yeah. Um, and to start off the the work that's in, in ASNet Core 3, um, all of your C Sharp actually will run on the server. Um, there's a SignalR service that's actually running in the background and, and uh, uh, makes it all go. Mm-hmm. But we'll have the WebAssembly yeah. support as well. And that's what we can talk about after the break. That's, that's going to be the next version of .NET Core. Very cool.
0: And as Scott said, we are going to take a break for this very important message. This episode of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Datadog, a real-time monitoring platform that unifies metrics, logs, and distributed request traces from your cloud containers and orchestration software. Track the health and performance of your dynamic containers, apps, and services with rich visualizations and machine-learning-driven alerts. Datadog's new cluster agent streamlines data collection from large container clusters and allows you to auto-scale Kubernetes workloads based on any metric you're already collecting with Datadog. To start monitoring your container clusters, sign up for a free trial today, and Datadog will send you a free t-shirt. Visit dd.netrocks.com to get started. And we're back. It's .NET Rocks. I'm Carl Franklin. That's Richie Campbell. And that's Scott Hunter. And we're talking about what's new in uh, Core 3.0. And just finish there
2: with uh, Blazor. I'm wondering, is
0: is Anders a fan of Blazor?
2: I don't know if Anders is a fan of Blazor. Um, I think the, the the bigger question to be is, is Anders a fan of Webison?
1: Yeah. Because it is a philosophical thing, isn't it? Right. I can't imagine
2: he is, isn't, you know. It's all C-sharp all the time. Um, well, I think the crazier thing is, you know, if you look at the the browser space, there's only been one language that really runs in the browser, and that's been Java, you know, for, for many many years. I mean, there's been plugins for Java and plugins for, you know, ActiveX. Now there's all kinds of web web plugins, but there's only been one native language that really has been in the browser, and that's JavaScript, right? Mm. And the the WebAssembly era is gonna is gonna bring a real change there, which is no longer are you forced to, to use JavaScript if you want to write an application that runs in the browser. Yeah. Now you'll be able to write in C++ or C-sharp, or Java.
0: Google's doing uh, Go, I think. Or Go, web yeah. yeah
2: you, you basically, you, 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 if you look today, there's already great support across a variety of languages for WebAssembly. Yeah. And so to me, it, it democratizes the web, where no longer are you forced to use uh, one technology. You can use the skills that you already have. I mean, I, I, I know I saw a demo or a, or a presentation where Autodesk um, they had Autodesk running in a browser, yeah. And I believe wow. it was basically the native C C plus code that Autodesk was written in, and they were able to build a WebAssembly version of that project of, of that program and get it running in a browser.
1: I'm sure that web page wasn't large at all. <laughs> That's a big DLL, oh, yeah. dude. Holy man! <laughs> what what level of C sharp um,
2: does WebAssembly support? It, it'll be some subset of .NET Standard uh, 2.0. Okay. Um, and I'll explain why it's a subset The you know, WebAssembly runs in the browser and right. because it runs in the browser. You know, the idea of running code in the browser might be scary, but in this case, I don't think it's scary because it, any of the code you run runs in the same sandbox that all web applications run in a browser today. Meaning right. that you can't write WebAssembly code that touches the registry. You right. can't write WebAssembly code that touches the, 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 the file system. Outside the sandbox. And, and so the, the level of compatibility of, of C-sharp will be the, will be those kinds those will be the barriers. If you try to write to the file system you'll get an exception. Um, if you try to write to the registry, you would get an exception. If you try to use a P invoke, you would get an exception because you have to run inside the context of the browser.
0: Yeah. Well, there is a file API where you can touch the, the disc, but it's all within the sandbox of your app. Like you can't go out to the documents folder, for example.
2: Exactly. There, yes, there is a there is a mechanism today where you know a, a browser can actually touch the file system, but it does it in a sandbox in right. a specific place, and it just can't go out and touch the root of C drive for yeah. Drive.
0: You can only you can only create files and deal with them yourself. You can't
2: share them. Well, you right. could you could certainly upload the data to an API, which is what they do. Yeah. Um, and so your your compatibility will be basically within what the what the bounds of that sandbox are. Some of the APIs in .NET. Uh, won't work because they would they would allow you to, they would try to get out of that sandbox and so they would just throw and. Uh,
0: but but well, you know what's interesting is that um, I don't know why you would want to do this on the client, but there are, you know, libraries for some of these great Azure tools like Service Bus and all of those that are Core compatible. You know, and what it means is if they're .NET Standard 2.0, that right? They'll they their Core will they will they run
2: in WebAssembly? Will you be able to yeah, call them? Yeah. Yeah, you could you could build an entire application that ran in WebAssembly um, and went out and and talked to Service Bus or talked to Cosmos DB or talked to SQL Server or all those kinds of things. Those are just web, you know, you know, those, those are just API calls. Yeah,
0: I mean that's pretty cool because that sort of takes a little bit of a load off of the uh, off of the server. You know, it's sort of like um, spreading spreading the love.
2: So that's that's funny you mentioned that. There's a uh, there's a URL you can go to, which is try. Period. Dot. Period. Net. Try. Net. Huh. Uh, and that's a that's that's a, a website you can go to and let you actually write .Dot. Net code in the in the browser. Um, and so the the idea here is you don't have to you know install any tools. <laughs> wow. Uh, and that's and uh, that's a funny one that we actually when we first built that website it was running all the .Dot. Net code on the server, which meant we were getting billed every time that somebody ran some code on the server. Right. And a few months. Later, a few months ago, we actually ported that website to Blazor um, because being run in Blazor, now it's running the .NET code in your browser yeah. using your CPU, yeah. not using the CPU in Azure.
0: It opens up a whole lot of flexibility in your architecture now.
2: And uh, we saved our company uh, tens of of dollars a month right. uh, by, by moving the, the, the workload from the, the server to the client. And that's where you're going to see WebAssembly and Blazor uh, do a whole bunch of stuff but. I want to talk about the, the real exciting thing okay. that, that we, uh, we announced to Build. So we just, you know, we, we already announced to Build. The .NET Core 3 is going to ship in September. Um, but it wouldn't be a Build if we didn't talk about what's going to come after .NET Core 3. Right. So let's let's kind of go to a, a quick history lesson on, on .NET. So in 2014, we had three .NETs. We had .NET Framework that everybody was used to. We had just introduced .NET Core fully open source, cross-platform, and we had uh, Xamarin for building mobile applications, Mm -hmm. and that's using Mono on the back end. So we have three of these .NETs, and we know there's a problem. It's hard to share code across these .NETs. Uh, And so in 2016, we introduced .NET Standard, and all .NET Standard really was is a a contract saying that all .NETs must implement this set of APIs called the .NET. Right. Um, And so it made it very easy to go build an assembly that you wanted to share across .NET Framework and .NET Core or .NET Core to Xamarin. Um, but that, that's just a step on that roadmap. As I look forward to beyond .NET Core 3, um, we want to do something crazy. Why do we have to have three.NETs? We're going to take the, the, the best parts of .NET Core and the best parts of Mono mm. and merge them together into a single platform. Um, and we're going to call this, we're not sure what to call it yet. It's either going to be called .NET Core 5 or just .NET 5. Hmm. Um, and what you're going to get is you're going to get, you know, right now, the, a Xamarin application, the, the mono that Xamarin runs on is a, another implementation of the BCL, the base class libraries. Right. .NET Core has an implementation of the base class libraries. And so we have, our teams are actually supporting and building two different BCLs. So with this, There'll be one BCL that's shared across all the applications.
0: That is awesome.
2: The Mono technology has ahead of time compile, um, and ahead of time compile means that we compile the app. There is no jitting. You know, it, it's basically it's basically native code uh, that is that is emitted from that, and and they have to do that for Xamarin because um, some of the devices they run on, like iOS devices. Um, Apple doesn't let you have interpreters or jitters on those devices for security reasons. Right, yeah. So they have to have that AOT. This means we're going to bring that same AOT technology into core. So you can build an ASP.NET Core application and, and compile it to a single EXE. Um, the this, this same AOT technology is what we're using to do WebAssembly for Blazor. Wow. Um, but I am super excited to have a, a re- converged into a single platform .NET that supports yeah. web, mobile, desktop, IoT, and console. Um, it's Everything's going to use the exact same project system. So like today, for example, a, a Xamarin project uses the older MS-Bill-styled projects, not the new simplified CS projects that we have mm-hmm. in a .NET Core application. Uh, but it means we'll take the best of Core and Mono, merge them together, one BCL, one single tool chain, and everybody gets uh, JIT and AOT.
0: How we have been waiting for this day! That is so awesome.
1: Everything unifies at the same time. It's the Mono version of .NET that runs Blazor, right? Because it's C at its core. Like
2: is as I was saying, we're right right now. The the um, when you're running WebAssembly, we're using the AOT tech from Mono, right? Um, to make that run today. Um, and so this is merging, this is the conclusion of that story to make that, right. you know, we don't want to be running mono. We want to use everything to be running .NET Core. Right. Um, and so right. we're taking those parts of mono and putting them into core.
1: It's great. Interesting.
0: You, you, everybody's sharing the best of breed to make this one awesome platform that runs everywhere.
2: Yeah. And to have a single unified platform, fully open source, fully cross platform. It's great. Um, with both JIT for... You know, JIT will always give you better performance on a on a long running web application. Sure, um, the AOT technology will give you better startup um, yep. and potentially a smaller application. And so, as a customer, you can decide to dial and when you want to use one of those, you know, either JIT or use AOT. Mic drop. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Next. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh,
2: it's, it's funny because I I uh, we were as we were thinking about this internally, we were we were drawing this on the whiteboard. Back in November of 2018, and uh, I'll tell you, tell you, tell you guys a funny story. We're we're all dra- dra- doing this on the whiteboard. We've got Mikhail Takaza on the on the call, and we're we're talking about how we're going to put this together. Um, and we're all laughing that, it, that that the customers might go, "Oh, there was always a plan to do all this." It it feels like it's... We were just laughing how how it it looks like a, a perfect plan outside, but it we never thought of it four years ago. We weren't. Thinking this
1: um, sure well and it's just too much to think about because you need to know so much too i think everything's matured enough now that you kind of are in a place where you can talk about what that would look like
2: yeah exactly we never we never even thought about it back then because all the technology stacks were so far apart that it was it was it was too hard to even think that way yeah
1: no i, I um, totally i totally appreciate that but it it I also think you're going to have more cycles now with a unified stack like this. It means that you can actually add more features faster because you're not backporting and making sure things are synchronized and updating standard to keep the APIs consistent. Like you don't need to do a lot of that. It's just going to happen naturally because it's one stack.
2: Yeah. Well, the, the, the cost savings of not having two different teams writing BCLs is going to be immense. Um, you know, just having one, Unified BCL team. Right. I mean, a lot of folks don't realize that, you know, like when we, we add a new API to .NET Core, um, then what will happen is the, the the Xamarin folks will go and and uh, go look at the reference source code for Core, the reference source code for .NET Framework, um, and sometimes they grab code out of both. Right. Um, and then to make that new API over on the on the Mono side. Um, And not having that duplication of efforts and having slightly different implementations on both sides, uh, you know, should be a huge win for the customers. It's going to mean things like uh, Visual Studio for Mac is going to run on .NET Core, which means it's going to run on a, I would say, a more proven BCL for running desktop style applications. Well, it's you know, those
1: those BCL people are incredibly talented. Like, that's some serious skills there. The fact that they're not spending time backporting means they can continue to improve performance. They can continue to add base features. Like, it's all advantageous if we have one. Yes. So. so I'm pretty excited about that. That's good stuff. Super well, happy. I'm very excited uh, about it. But at the same time, point. you're also getting mature enough now that, There's not going to be huge tracks of new features needed to be added, right? This is sort of a gradual improvement scheme now.
2: I hope so. And that's why, you know, as we mentioned at the beginning of the the podcast, uh, going to that annual cadence, um, we think the platform is going to be mature enough at this point that hopefully stuff is mainly incremental, which also means for my customers as well, because it's easier to move from version to version. Yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully. But you're yeah. going to get the best of all the worlds, too. So it's not right. like you don't have to get all the side-by-side. You get all the cross-platform. You get all the app types. Um, I'm excited. So getting back to Windows Desktop,
0: what's the story with Windows Forms and WPF again? I mean, I know that they're .NET Core, but does that mean that they can run on a Mac or a Linux desktop?
2: No, the, the desktop stacks um, are, are very, very hooked to Windows technologies. For example, Windows Forms is basically a wrapper around, around H, which is the... The type that, yeah, uh, the, the desktop is built on top of right. WPF sits on top of DirectX right yeah. um, And and so both of these technologies are very uh, aligned to Windows technology and and let's say we did port those. Do you really want a Win a Windows ninety five style looking application running on a Mac? Mm. I don't. think You would get what you actually want out of that. Um, so the whole idea of doing cross platform UI has always been a challenge. Nobody's got it right to this day. If it was easy, it would have already been solved, but nobody's got it really nailed. Um, I think if you want to build a, a cross-platform, desktop style application in your .NET developer, our Blazor technology is probably the right technology. I showed a demo yeah. Yeah. a few months ago where we took a Blazor application and we wrapped it in, in an Electron shell. Um, and so wow. for people that don't know, Electron is the is, is some of the technology uh, that's out there to make a, a web application be a real desktop application. You know, examples of of uh, Electron applications are Visual Studio Code, mm-hmm. uh, Microsoft Teams, uh, Slack uh, are all examples of of these types of applications. Yeah, uh, they don't. It's
1: easy to tell when you're running an Electron app. Just see how much memory you have available. <laughs> uh, how many copies of Chrome am I running? How many of those are actually yeah. Electron apps? Like it's, <laughs> I'm I, I'm excited that you guys, you know, GitHub's a wholly owned subsidiary now. Not so much for the source control, but hey, thanks for making everything free. But now they own Electron. Can you work on it? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, as I said, we we have been playing with uh, getting Blazer applications to run uh, in the Electron. World. Interesting and. Um, and when you when you run a, a, a .NET Blazor application inside of the Electron shell, you do get a better memory footprint than you do with Node.js apps, um, and you get better performance as well uh, than you do in the Node.js apps. Um, so um, we will likely make the Electron option available to uh, Blazor developers in the future. Mm, right. Um, and and we will c- keep looking at, you know, at, once we get the platform all unified in the in the .NET five .NET four or five era. Um, I think, you know, figuring out how to build cross-platform UI apps will be something we'll do, whether it's the Blazor plus um, the Electron shell or something else. Um, you know, customers do ask us about this all, a whole bunch. And so it, it, we will definitely explore the area.
1: Nice. Mm. I do want to circle back on XAML a bit because I remember a time when XAML ran on the Mac. We just called it Silverlight. Yep. You know, I don't know what you guys are going to do with WPF and and all of that in the SDK. But if it g- goes open source, like somebody could make an implementation here. It is XAML. I mean, I know it's working against DirectX, but it doesn't have to. I, I'm mm. with you about WinForms. It's sort of an old style thing, but XAML lets us do just about anything. And there's some people, I've heard rumor that are not wildly excited about HTML. No. <laughs> just some people, that's, not very many, but some. Like I crazy I think time. there's room for... an. An alternative.
2: I think there is. That's what i was saying. We we will continue to explore that space. Okay. As you said, once we get through this next wave and we have some cycles available, hmm. we'll go look and see. You know what the right solution is. As I said, is it laser in an electron shell? Right. Is it Xamarin Forms uh, that runs a- across all the all the uh, the the operating systems? I don't know the answer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: well, I mean, what I like about blazer, I mean, admittedly, you're still using HTML to do the rendering, we are. but you now have a component model back into play and all the vendors are already offering free versions, uh, you know, sample versions of their, their component library. So we're back to maybe a draggy, droppy buildy sort of way to, to build a, a client app, which is interesting.
2: The question is, is it good enough? Right. Hmm. And I, don't, I don't think we know at this point if that's good enough. I, yeah. I think we'll have to wait another another cycle before we actually,
1: you know, figure that out. And here we are getting back to the reality of there isn't a grand plan. There is put stuff out there, watch what happens, adjust accordingly. Right. <laughs>
2: and and just, you know we we're always our team is always watching the technology space all up to see what's what's the next big thing. Sure. Right. Um, but I, we have all the pieces now to do some pretty crazy stuff. I mean, with the WebAssembly stuff. You know, you could actually run cross-platform UI in the browser. I mean, you could have, you know, imagine controls that are actually running in WebAssembly. Yeah. So all you need is a browser on all the platforms. There's, there's tons of stuff we could do. So Scott, where's VB.NET today? So you know, .NET Core three does ship with a new version of VB. Um, uh, the VB language. We try to make sure that as we add features to C sharp, um, that there is a equivalent uh, in the VB side. And that if you write code using the latest C# features, we want to make sure you can still call that code from uh, the Visual Basic side. Is the language innovating? The the language is innovating basically, uh, primarily in being able to use the same features that C# is. You know, yeah. we, we, the way we look at languages is we lead with C#, mm-hmm. um, and then we take take the, that functionality and make sure that you can call that code from VB, and you know bring those those features uh, back to VB. So for example. Tuples is something we did in C Sharp Seven, Mm. Um, and we made sure that we had a VB, you know, the VB code could do the same thing. So, um, but we don't we don't innovate on on both languages at the same time. C Sharp is is the leader, and VB is kind of the follower. Right. You know, there's a passionate group of people that still use the VB language.
0: Very cool. Well, I'm sure there'd be a few people listening who are happy to hear that. That's good. So, uh, so what's next? I mean, build is over. He
2: going golfing or <laughs> I mean, what are you doing now <laughs> what do you do now what's next is we ship .NET Core 3 I mean get this RC out in July yeah. and then have .NET Conf in September for the launch that's really the the next thing and then uh, we'll get that LTS out in November and then, and then it's golf time previews of, of, of 5 will start coming out yeah busy summer though
0: Yeah, yeah well you guys keep on rocking and doing what you're doing it's amazing what you guys are doing
2: Thanks. We will. Amazing.
0: And uh, I guess that's a show. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll see you next time on .Net Rocks.